This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. Yes, good morning. It's Saturday morning and SEM Plus has never sounded so good. Can't wait to talk to uh, Mick Fanning. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, third world, not the third world. It's good. <laughs> He's the third world surfing champion against all those all those people from uh, Nigeria and Laos, all those third world countries all on the world surfing tour. Do they actually have beaches? <laughs> of course they do. Love I don't it. know whether they're surfing beaches or not. He's actually won the title three times. Three times world surfing champion Mick Fanning. What a man. Good morning. It's a bucket list with Diana Simons and Beefy. And this morning we are very excited to be speaking to Mr. Mick Fanning. Morning. How are you going? Fantastic. I've got to ask you, how did you actually get into surfing? It was through my brothers, actually. Uh, I'm the youngest of five kids. Being the youngest, you always follow your, the older ones around. And my brothers started surfing at a fairly young age, and they dragged me off to the beach when I was about five. You grew up on the Gold Coast, didn't you? So, I mean, how can you not grow up surfing on the Goldie anyway? It's perfect. Yeah, I was actually born in Sydney and then um, I moved to Coffs Harbour and that's when I started surfing. But after a couple of years in Coffs Harbour, we moved back to Sydney and I didn't surf for a few years before moving up to the Goldie. Okay. If you hadn't become a professional surfer, what do you think you might have ended up doing? To be totally honest, my whole world was soccer. <laughs> I um, I loved soccer. And yeah, it was sort of a bit of fate actually how I got into surfing. I, um, I was actually going to soccer sign up and we actually went on the wrong day so there was no one there and then <laughs> from there my brother was actually going down to uh d-bar where the contest is at the moment to meet up with guys from quicksilver to get sponsored and uh i just went surfing anyway and they ended up sponsoring us both which was really cool and uh never went back to soccer what a story that is do you think though yeah. that you would have been good enough to get to go far in soccer as you had done in surfing I don't think I would have been, no, but I just loved it so much. I was just so infatuated as any uh, young kid is. No, that's quite amazing. Uh, the World Surf League tour events are on right now. There's one, uh, the Quicksilver Pro is right on the Gold Coast, and we've got the, obviously, Bells Beach coming up at Easter time, and there's Margaret River mm-hmm. towards the end of the month. It's a very important time for Australian surfing, eh? April. Yeah, yeah, it's the whole start of the tour. It starts here in Oz. I had some qualifying series events down Newcastle and Manly before this one on the on the Gold Coast. From the Gold Coast, they go down to Bells Beach, and you know, if guys can get a good start in these first two events, it sort of sets up the rest of their year. We've seen the introduction of uh, the artificial surf parks as well. Kelly Slater's Ranch was on the World Surf League Tour last year. Oh, and I've also got to say, I've been to the one in Cape Town. Uh, sorry, not Cape Town, in South Africa. They've got the uh, the wave pool in Sun City. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, one, that one's probably not up there with how good Kelly's one is at the moment. I don't know if they'll run an event at the Sun City one, but it's a whole different world. It's almost like a space race at the moment. Everyone's racing for technology and so many cool different wave pools out there. The WSL thought it was uh, a good enough wave to hold an event, and last year they had the first ever World Tour event in a wave pool. So it was it was exciting, but, yeah, really different. So used to the ocean. Well, that's right, and nearly every wave was the same as well. So you get to try different things, and uh, you can really uh, kind of hone your skills. I guess is the best way of putting it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. A lot of guys actually leading up to this year um, went over to the, 
the surf ranch and we're dialing in boards, getting a lot of time on their feet. It's a great training tool as as well as, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, I believe they're going to open one up in Victoria. Uh, Yeah, right by the airport. That's slated to open later this year. Actually, it's not too far away now as well. And I think up in Queensland, one in Yapoon and on the Gold Coast too. Why would you open one on the Gold Coast? Sharks, die sharks. You can't get enough waves. No, no sharks. (laughs) Don't say that to poor old Mick. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's awesome. You know, uh, Australia's got three or four different technologies that are rumoured to be opening up. The one in Melbourne looks like it'll be the first one open. That'll be exciting. Oh, I hope you come down and check it out. That would be cool. Now, Mick, you've officially retired, but the Olympics are beckoning. Surfing is in next year's Olympics in Japan. Are you thinking about a slight comeback so you could be an Olympian? (laughs) No, no, no. I'm too old and slow (laughs) for what the guys are doing these days. The level of surfing that's going on at the moment is incredible and... um, feel like I'd sort of just be in the way. I just sort of ate a piece of humble pie and went, yeah, you guys do it. I'll just, if you guys need help, I'll be here to help out. <laughs> yeah, talking about pie, when you did retire, because you would have been so fit watching what you eat and getting up early in the morning, did you indulge in any, any, any slothful behaviour that you had to atone for? Yeah, look, the first few months I, I put on some kilos. <laughs> um, you know, I stopped training and... Um, your mates sitting there and they want to have a counter meal and a beer at lunch you know you've got nothing to hold you back so uh, <laughs> first few months was definitely uh, a learning experience to say the least and tell me something mick what what do you think makes a good wave there's so many different waves in the world and everyone everyone's got a different take on it for me as long as it's got plenty of push the waves that we have here on the gold coast of what i've grown up and just absolutely love the long point breaks for me point breaks are, are the all time I know you probably don't like talking about it because it happened a long time ago with, with the shark in J-Bay, but does it does it annoy you, you know, that people still remember that and that they think of Mick Fanning, the guy that escaped the shark? Look, it doesn't annoy me. Look, I don't really pay too much attention to it, to be really honest. I got over it a long time ago. Uh, people just bring it up <laughs> because it was big news there for a bit. Yeah, look, it's just one of those things. At least they don't know me for doing something stupid. That's a good point. They know I was going to say, you actually punched the shark. Were you actually told to do that by your coach if you're ever in that situation, or was that just intuitive? <laughs> that is something you never talk about. <laughs> you just never want to be in that situation. Yeah. And um, to be really honest, I was just in fight or flight mode. And um, yeah. yeah, luckily for me, I just I tried to fight. I know. Lucky, look, we're happy that you came out safely. But, I mean, is it something that you look back at now and you go, oh, that was just so surreal. It doesn't feel like it was actually you? No, look, yeah, look, I still remember it. I can still see it pretty perfectly in my head. I've had so many close calls in different areas, you know. Sometimes you almost get hit by a car going across the street. So I try and put it in, in that sort of realm, you know. It's like, okay, it's something that happened just move on <laughs> yeah true now Mick you've talked about your love of soccer I know you've trawled around the world obviously you've surfed everywhere but is there a certain event or a certain sports event that you really haven't been to and you want to tick off in your retirement there's three that sort of come to mind you know obviously the Olympics I'd love to go and check out the Olympics I think that's the sporting pinnacle of the universe I'd love to go and watch Wimbledon I've been to the Australian Open and, and, and um, the US Open, and, and they were truly incredible. So different, the feels. Um, so Wimbledon's up there. And then I'd love to go and watch a World Cup final 
in, in soccer as well. I think that would just be totally awesome as well. Just the atmosphere would just be next level. Yeah, international football at that level is, is just crazy and the fans just make it an event that you're never, ever going to forget. Yeah, no, that's sounds incredible. I've been to a couple of like Euro League games and stuff like that and they were incredible too. Yeah. So I'd love to just get up to that next level. Hey, Mick, do you have a favourite beach in the whole world? Is there somewhere that you, you just love that was amazing? Where I live on the Gold Coast is pretty amazing. Um, we've got probably five of the top 20 waves in the world up here and truly spoilt up here. So if I only had to surf one area for the rest of my life, this would be it. I could agree with that. And tell me, do you, do you still have to be blonde to be a good surfer? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Very good. Well, Mick, thank you for joining us on this Saturday morning. Glad you could take a little bit of time out of your breakfast to speak with us. And uh, hopefully... You will be the next Australian Olympic surfing coach. You can get to the Olympics and spend some time over there. That would be awesome. Yeah, look, if I'm not the coach, probably just be on the beach in an armchair with pom-poms going for Australia. <laughs> I love it. That's Mick Fanning on the bucket list on ECM+. You're listening to The Bucket List. It's a big weekend of traditional sport, actually, in the UK this weekend. The Oxford and Cambridge Boat Race. It's one of the most spectacular and popular races in Britain. It's always live on BBC TV, and nowadays, Oxford versus Cambridge. Both of the universities recruit rowers from all over the world, and I actually think Oxford, James Cracknell, who's 46, five-time Olympian, is in the Oxford crew this year, so that's quite amazing. A few years ago, there was an Aussie who made history. He actually jumped into the water during the races. They had to stop the race and he nearly got decapitated. Well, that's a shame. I think he was just a bit on the source, to be quite honest. You have to be on the source for wanting to uh, jump in the Thames for a start. How filthy is the Thames? It's pretty filthy. It's disgusting. Oh, yeah. Uh, The Thames is pretty rough as well because 1912, both crews sank. That's terrible. Yeah, so the Thames is choppy, but it's, it's iconic. It is elitist. If you're going to watch... You know, when you dress up in your stripy blazer and a boater. It's a big thing, yeah. Is it that interesting to watch? Not really. It takes about 15 minutes. There's over four miles on the Thames. It's got to be very physically difficult, though. Oh, it's rowing. a long time. They're rowing hard, so they're going quite quick. And pretty much the only time they actually didn't put the boat race on was during the wars. It's gone nearly every year since 1829. Quite phenomenal. We've got another star of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It's Paul McDermott. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Beefy. Hello, Diana. How are you both? Fantastic. Great to have you on the show on the bucket list. What's your background before you got into the Doug Anthony All-Stars? I was at art school, needed a bit of money, and I knew these fellows that were busking and they started doing a cabaret bot at a venue in Canberra. They asked me to join and I thought that was a good deal. I was getting like $12 a week to live. They picked up 30 bucks a week each busking on the street. That almost doubled my income immediately, and I thought, this is a good thing. Yeah, they asked me to join. I jumped on board, and within a year, I think, we were um, done the Adelaide Festival, and we got the prize there and went over to Edinburgh, did the Edinburgh Festival, and then about a year and a half, the All-Stars, we started reappeared on Good News Week on the ABC and started our, our television career, and things sort of took off crazy way. There was a rumour that uh, you never actually washed your outfits. Is that true? Yeah, that is my fault. thought that it would be wonderful if people saw us, heard us and smelt us. 
You know, yeah. all your senses are catered for. The other reason the costumes were never washed is because I, I hand-painted the back of them and I was quite worried that if they went through the wash, the little painting on the back would just get destroyed. And so, yeah, we never washed them. But also we discovered uh, quite early on when we used to perform at the Prince Patrick in Melbourne that if people were being rowdy, and they often were at our gigs in the early days, if there were, if there were people that were not interested in listening and interested in talking, I found that if I put their head, and this, this could be a giant beefy fella, if I put their head under my arm, after a couple of seconds, they would just stop moving. <laughs> yeah, they would really, give up the ghost. That's really disgusting so and, was, and very funny. When the Victorian Arts Museum asked for our costumes and we broke up, we gave them the costumes on the proviso that they would never, ever wash them. Oh. Have a document somewhere stating that they would never be washed. Brilliant. How did that yeah. work with the women? You know, if you saw an attractive girl in the crowd or something? I suppose the, the visual beauty of the three of us uh, overwhelmed the olfactory senses. You know, the beauty of the voices and then the beauty of the physical specimens before you and then, uh, you know, just wear a peg, basically. Is there something out there that uh, still you need to tick off on your bucket list you want to get overseas and see? I know you spent a lot of time in the UK. Spent a lot of time in the UK. Went to a number of soccer matches when I was over there. It had uh, one of the, the finest nights in um, Scotland one night with a couple of Celtic uh, and United bouncers that were... Um, we're going to split our heads open if we didn't pick the right team. Ooh. That was pretty funny. Thanks for taking some time out on this Saturday morning. Beefy, absolute pleasure. You're listening to The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. I actually worked at the Grand National a few years ago. I was security, Di, security. Why are you security? Well, there was a threat from Peter about cruelty to horse races, especially the Grand National, because mm-hmm. it is 30 fences. The fences are so high. They're like One of the fences is like eight foot high, called the chair. The level of jumping is higher than the level of landing, so the th- horses get a bit thrown out. But there's one area called Canal Turn. It's actually got a canal, and they were mm-hmm. expecting Peter to come in via the river and storm the track. Did so, they come? No. I was there. I was <laughs> frightening them off. And you can see on the TV footage, I'm the only one watching the race when I'm meant to be watching the crowd because I'm a sports freak. Die, I love sports. It's a bucket list and we are speaking to the 2018 winner of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. She is the Jungle Queen. Please welcome Fiona O'Loughlin. Thanks for having me. What was it like being in I'm a Celebrity? I mean, I can hardly watch that show. Some of the, the things they have to do is disgusting. I loved it. You do get tortured and you are starving. There was just something so wonderful about being away from everything. So I just couldn't keep remembering there were cameras. I think that's why I won. Did you eat anything disgusting? Yes, I ate a wildebeest testicle. And then I had the wildebeest testicle in my intestine. I just couldn't stand the thought of it being in there. But unfortunately, there was a standoff between me and the long drop. There was this huge, crazy tarantula with claws in the long drop. And I'm like, oh, no, this is bad. I don't know what God was thinking when he created this monster of a spider. It was just horrific. How big? Yeah, yeah, huge. Is it like a dinner plate? With claws. With claws. Wow. This show is called The Bucket List. Is there any sporting events or any actually cultural events around the world that you long to tick off on your bucket list? Absolutely none. <laughs> <laughs> we should give her a medal because she's a first. I love it. Yeah. Fiona O'Loughlin, thank you so much for being part of The Bucket List. Oh, you guys are great. Thank you so much. And it's the bucket list this morning. We're speaking to Josh Seps from the International Melbourne Comedy Festival. Good morning, Josh. G'day, guys. You were actually doing Huff Post TV. Are you still doing that? 
No, that folded. I was living in New York for the past 12 years where I was basically helping to launch what really became the biggest online sort of television talk network. We were, we were on for 12 hours a day, broadcasting out of Manhattan. It was this big kind of audacious attempt by the Huffington Post, which was the most read online-only news site in the world, to go into kind of basically sort of cable television, really. And I was one of the founding presenters and producers. But that wrapped up year before last, and I moved back to Australia. What a gig, though. What is the deal with Russell Brand? I've seen him on the TV station. <laughs> He's trying to take his shirt off and play with your nipples. <laughs> I hosted over a 1,000 hours of television, and we had all of the big A-listers coming through, from Russell Brand to, like, Susan Sarandon and Jeremy Irons. Russell is the most ridiculously spontaneous joy of an interview. I've seen him where he totally demolishes the interviewer as well, so he can be a complete and utter basket case. Yeah, he tweaked my nipple, he poured water all over my laptop computer. It was good times. Did you get a new laptop off the back of that? <laughs> yes. So I went to the IT department and I was like, can I have a new laptop? What's wrong with the old one? I was like, yeah, Russell Brand poured a glass of water over it. Okay, all the day's work when you're interviewing Russell Brand. How did you get involved with HuffPost and launching that, the non-cable TV channel? And I just wanted to go to the States and I wanted to do improv comedy. I just loved New York and I loved all of the opportunities that existed over there. You basically just get an agent, you go to a ton of different auditions. And I got a show on Discovery Science Channel and it was a couple of years before HuffPost realised that they wanted to do something big and I just happened to be one of the six people who they chose to do it with. That's fantastic. What does it do with Jeremy Irons talking about gay marriage and he, he seems convinced <laughs> that a father can marry his son? Jeremy Irons, I asked him about whether or not he supports gay marriage and he said he's against it because if you had gay marriage, then couldn't a father marry his son in order to avoid paying death tax and hand his estate, <laughs> this is such a ridiculous idea, hand his estate to his son in order to get around the death duties because then it would be he'd be giving it to his spouse instead of giving it to his son. <laughs> I was just like, um, I'm pretty sure that if that happened, you would just pass the law to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And he was like, really? Why? I mean, fathers and sons don't breed. If they don't breed, then there'd be no law against incest. And this ended up becoming like front page uh, news on the, on the British tabloids the following day and he had to go on the BBC onto the hard talk program and disavow it and apologise and I just felt really sorry for the guy because he was just sort of he was just shooting the breeze you obviously lived in New York for for quite a while are there any yep. sporting events or cultural events that you didn't quite get to in your time in New York? I want to see Billy Joel at Yankee Stadium or at Madison Square Garden. First Monday of the month at Madison Square Garden. You've done it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, I'm so jealous. Yeah. I'm so jealous. No, it was fantastic. Um, as a kid, I was a huge Billy, Billy Joel fan. I went to Yankee Stadium and saw baseball games. Uh, I went and saw the Dodgers play when I was in Los Angeles because I was there quite a bit. I love the vibe of American sports yeah. games, the hot dogs and the beer, and there's just something so American oh, about it all. Yeah. It's a wonderful way to spend a Sunday. But I think seeing Billy Joel at the Garden would, would be the best. And that's Josh Sepps on the bucket list. Daniel Jaconi from Sportnet Holidays. Good morning, Daniel. Diana Beefy, how are you? Well, it's a weekend for sports, so uh, you are the go-to guys. If you want the once-in-a-lifetime President's Cup experience, Sportsnet Holidays are the people to talk to. We are. We were an appointed uh, official licensed travel operator for the event. So I'm really, really excited. Melbourne gets to host this absolute bucket list world-class event. Now, the captains for the American team is Tiger Woods and the rest of the world team is Ernie Els. 
Tiger is actually not just captaining uh, Team USA, but he's playing as well, which is quite rare. The USA team will be made up of the likes of Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Bubba Watson. You know, there'll be Australians in the international team like Jason Day, Adam Scott, Mark Leishman, guys like Louis Hustays and, and Hideki Matsuyama. When do we ever get to experience such golfing talent all in the one place? It's only the third time the event's actually been staged in Australia, all at Royal Melbourne, uh, which is the only actual international venue to hold the event more than once. The Americans have a, a huge advantage over the international team. Uh, it's been staged, I, I think, 12 times. The Americans have won it 10. We've won it once with a draw. I think it's the team aspect and, and the camaraderie that the Americans have because they're all American versus the international team, which is generally made up of Koreans, Japanese, South Africans and Australians. Uh, I, I think that's the difference. And the President's Cup is held from the 12th of December till the 15th of December. How does the prize money work? I believe this is a bit different, Daniel. There's no actual prize money awarded to the players. All proceeds are distributed to charities nominated by the players. And since the event's inception, it's raised around $50 million. What else can Sportsnet Holidays put on that will make this special? four-day event, uh, and, and we can we can offer a package just for the Saturday and Sunday or for the Thursday and Friday or for all four days or, or for those golf nuts. We can even include the practice sessions uh, earlier in the week and the actual tournament itself. What's really special about everyone that books through us, uh, we're going to have a, an exclusive Pres- President's Cup gala dinner, going to be held at Crown Palladium, and the Brownlow Medal and the Allen Border Medal are, are held there. Special guest experiences from past and present golfing greats. Obviously, it'd be a three-course dinner and beverages, and, and the only way to actually buy this dinner is is via an official licensed travel operator like ourselves and this one is is not to be missed can the international team and team usa's dominance of the event do you think Oh, Diane, I hope so. It's a pretty, pretty formidable team, the USA team. The only time we've beaten them was here at Royal Melbourne back in 98. Uh, I think that, that Team USA will be too strong and uh, that camaraderie they have, uh, all being from the one country, seems to get them through each each couple of years this has played. So if I want to jump on board and get on that the 2019 President's Cup in Melbourne, make sure you get hold of Sportsnet Holidays, one three hundred triple eight. 858-sportsnetholidays.com On the bucket list. This is SEN 1377 AM. This is the bucket list for Diana and Beefy. One of the best shows you'll ever hear on radio in Australia. From Gavin Wood, good night.